0: All right, well, if you guys uh, want to uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, um, and while you're doing that, I might pose a question for you to think over, um, And that question is, what do you desire most in life? And while you're, while you're thinking that um, thinking on that, turn to, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be starting in verse 32. What do you desire most? Starting in verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, and escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scur- scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. So this week we're going to do something a little bit different um, Throughout the whole summer, if you've been coming, you know that we've been kind of going through Hebrews 11 and working through the different characters, but you may have noticed in this passage, there really isn't a specific character that's highlighted. Um, they kind of give you a list of them um, that he says, look, if I had more time to talk about, uh, then I would, but there's just so many people in the, in the Old Testament to go off of um, that we can uh, describe as faithful. So tonight, we're going to do something a little different. We're actually going to zoom out of Hebrews a little bit and zoom into the Old Testament. And um, and focus on the life of David. So if you guys want to flip, actually, to 1 Samuel, chapter 13. 1 Samuel is uh, is right after Ruth, and it's before 2 Samuel. <laughs> Lost a few of you there. Um, and while you turn there, I'll give you a little context of what was going on here. So in 1 Samuel, uh, in David's day, um, basically the Israelites had been, uh, being ruled by judges, and eventually they got to the point where they wanted to have a king because every other nation had a king. We want to have a king to rule over us. Um, so eventually, God did uh, agree to to give Israel a king, and he appointed a man named Saul to be king. Um, Saul is not to be confused with Paul or Saul in the New Testament. Saul is a um, an Old Testament character um, that was appointed by the Lord to be king. However, Saul did not fear the Lord, and uh, eventually God rejected Saul and sought saw a different man. Uh, if you want to jump into verse 14 of chapter 13. Actually, we'll start in verse 13. Um, so Saul is actually being rebuked by the prophet Samuel in this, in this, uh, in this case. And Samuel says to Saul, uh, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So here we see, like, the Lord tells Samuel, look, this guy uh, tells Samuel to rebuke Saul. And, um, and we see that the Lord has sought out for himself a man after God's own heart. And that man was David. Um, so then a little later in 1 Samuel, uh, in chapter 16, a few pages over if you guys want to flip over there. For Samuel 16, so the Lord tells Samuel in verse 1, he says, How long will you grieve over Saul since I rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. It's interesting how the Lord doesn't tell Samuel, hey, I, I picked out a guy. His name's David, and he's the youngest. You'll go know him because he's in the fields watching the sheep. He doesn't give him all that information. He just tells Samuel, look, I've, I've chosen a guy there. And so Samuel goes to Bethlehem, uh, and in verse 6, uh, we see Samuel sees the oldest, his son, uh, oldest of Jesse's sons, Eliab, and this guy really looked like a king. I mean, he was, he was handsome, he was tall, he was fit, he looked like, you know, your, your typical king. And so in verse 6, Samuel thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But look at the response that the Lord gives Samuel in verse 7. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Um, right off the bat, we already can tell, before we even really are introduced to David formerly, that, um, that God saw that David uh, had a heart after himself and uh, that his heart was, was a heart of faith. Um, so kind of with all that as, that as background, um, kind of as context, Now we're kind of going to look um, at the question highlighted on your outline there. Um, How did David demonstrate faith throughout his life? So now that we know who he is, how did he demonstrate faith in his life? And the first way that he did this uh, was in battle. And the most obvious example of David uh, displaying faith in battle is the story of David and Goliath, which is found in chapter 17, which should only be a page over. Um, So... For those of you who don't know the story, and I'm not sure how you wouldn't know the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was, like, was this huge dude, right? He was like nine feet tall. This Philistine that was opposing the armies of Israel, and no one would go out and fight him because he was nine feet tall uh, and just this, just this massive warrior. Um, but jumping into verse 31 of chapter 17, is when David comes down, he checks things out, he sees this guy. And in verse 31, it says, When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Verse 37, listen to this. The Lord, and David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. So we see David's faith immediately in verse 31. He says, let no man's heart fail on account of him, your servant will go and fight the Philistine. And then in contrast, you see Saul's doubt. He says, look, David, I appreciate the effort, but this guy's been a warrior for longer than you've been alive. Like, there's no way you're going to beat him. And David, he basically uses his shepherding background saying, like, look, I, like, I killed a lion and a bear with my own hands. But the reason he says this is important to note that he's not saying, David's not saying, hey, like, I can take this guy because I killed a bear with my own hands, which honestly would be pretty valid if he would have said that. Because who, I don't know if anybody's killed a bear or a lion with your bare hands. If you have, we should chat afterwards because I want to hear about that. But um, <laughs> but he's not saying, look, that I, can, I can do this. He's not saying my own strength. He says in verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Uh, David knew that his strength wasn't, uh, Wasn't in himself. It wasn't anything that he did. uh, It was the Lord's strength. Uh, And then later on, uh, we see David refuses the armor of Saul because Saul tries to give him uh, his 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 sword and his helmet and um, all of these garments. And David says, "Look, I don't I don't need that. Like I don't. It's not. I all I need is the stone and the sling and the and the strength of the Lord." And um, if you haven't heard the story before, like I said, um, David goes out and he does. He strikes down the Philistine with just one stone and uh, ends up getting the victory. Before he does all this, though, in verse 46, he says to, to Goliath, he says, This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give, it, and he will give you into our hands. Um, If you've kind of zoned out, zone back in because this is important. David had every reason to trust in his own strength. Um, Heck, he said he killed a bear and a lion with his own hands. But what defeated the mighty giant Goliath was his unshakable faith in an almighty God. There's no way that David could have beat him on his own strength. Um, uh, It's interesting, too, because people always say, you know, Especially in sports, you know, if it's like, oh, it's a David and Goliath matchup, you know. So David's like the, you know, the, the 16 seed uh, taking on the number one seed in the NCAA tournament or whatever. Or it's like, you know, the Oakland Raiders like beating anybody, really. Is, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what's really important to note here is this, this battle was never, it was never David versus Goliath. It was always God versus Goliath. And this this victory that David had over Goliath, it wasn't an upset. It wasn't a surprise to God. God was always going to win this battle. Um, In contrast, the Philistines put their faith in Goliath, who ultimately was defeated by an all-powerful God. So their faith was really in something that didn't last. Um, So it really begs the question here, what what is your faith in? Is your faith in something that's going to ultimately crumble in front of God? Um, Is it something... You know, the Philistines were so confident, you know, going into this battle because they had this giant Goliath, right? They didn't have any fear of of losing this battle. And then all of a sudden, Goliath is killed and they have nothing. So what is your faith in? Just think about that. Um, And then moving forward. So that was what we looked at David's faith um, in battle. Moving forward on your outline, we're going to look at David's faith uh, in persecution and hardship. Um, So soon after David kills Goliath, Goliath. Saul ends up becoming pretty jealous of David, and the reason is really because David was succeeding pretty much in all he did. He, was, uh, he became uh, really successful in war because the Lord was, was prospering him, um, and Saul just became more and more jealous of, of David's fame and, and his prosperity, and he even tried to kill David a few times by throwing a spear at him. Um, and what's interesting, too, is that David at this point was, was even Saul's son-in-law. Um, and so if you, think, if you think family dinners are bad, then I would reconsider that. <laughs> Hopefully you've never gotten a spear thrown at you at the dinner table. But, um, but eventually David has to actually flee for his life uh, because it got so bad. Uh, and David ends up coming after him. I mean Saul ends up coming after David uh, with some of his men. Um, and if you want to just kind of pause there and think about, put yourself in David's shoes and think about what it would be like uh, to be in this situation for David, you know, he went from basically being in a field, shepherding some sheep, to being anointed king of Israel, and then killing a nine-foot giant, and then going off to war and having all this success and and really just growing and prospering in the Lord. And then all of a sudden, you know, the king and like, your own father-in-law tries to kill you and drives you out of the land. If you were David, you'd be thinking, like, man, where is the Lord and all? If it was me, I'd be thinking, where is the Lord in all this? You know, I, I, I had all of this going for me, and then, and then it was all taken away from me, and things were getting bad to worse as... Saul continued to pursue David uh, for his life. Um, But David remained firm in his faith. And uh, if you guys want to flip over to chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, this is uh, one of the first instances kind of where Saul and David meet up, uh, or where where Saul pursues David. Um, 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse... 3, this is Saul, he came to the sheepfolds on the way, there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his man, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. Um, I think this is incredible too because it's amazing that David, you know, it would have been so easy for David right here to have taken matters into his own hands and just, and just killed Saul because we see in, in verse 4 it says the, Lord, uh, the Lord's at, at some point revealed to David, I'm about to give your enemy." your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. The Lord didn't say, you know, you you can't kill him or like don't make sure you don't kill. It, the Lord delivered him into his hand and said do it seems good to you. So it's amazing to me that David didn't just take that as like okay, now I can finally, you know, I can get rid of Saul who's been chasing me. I haven't even done anything wrong. I'll just t- kill Saul and then I'll inherit the throne because that's what this is the way that God God promised me. So I'll just I'll just speed up the process. It would have been really easy for him to do that. But we see that David believed God's promise. And he showed incredible faith in God's promise that he would deliver him from Saul, and he only cuts off the corner of his robe, and even that bothered his conscience. And so it's amazing to see David's faith um, and really in compassion towards Saul. Uh, And then in verse, or I'm sorry, uh, in chapter 26, you don't have to turn that. I'll just kind of skim over it. But the second time, David actually shows mercy to Saul again. When Saul's men uh, were, were camping, David and his men snuck into their camp, and he took uh, Saul's water jug and and snuck in there. And kind of the same thing happens. Uh, his men are kind of convincing him, like, oh, you should just just strike him down. And David says, no. Like, And the reason was because he had faith in God and in God's promise to him that he would inherit the throne. And, again, it would have been so easy um, for David to do this, um, to just take our own, to trust his own abilities instead of trusting God's plan. Um, and, uh Looking at Psalm 57, you have to turn I'll read it to you, um, but verses 1 through 3, it's just a really good um, reminder of how, or just a really good insight into the light, into David, who, who wrote this with his own hand, and he says, Be gracious to me. This was written when he was in the cave um, uh, after Saul was pursuing him. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most High to God who accomplishes all things for me, He will send from heaven and save me, He reproaches him who tramples upon me, God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. Notice how David has full faith in God he doesn't say he's not pleading for for you know the ability to to take Saul take out Saul on his own he's saying i like i know I know the Lord will deliver me um, and uh in this um This becomes a reality for him for David becoming king in second Samuel chapter five I mean, he was um, god 's promise to David of being king was finally fulfilled after years of struggling with Saul in the desert and um and David was proved uh, was proved faithful in this um, and I think it 's really applicable like how often do we place our faith and trust in things other than God when hard times come um, david 's example shows us that you know even when uh Trials come. That God is still sovereign. He's still on the throne, and He keeps His promises to us, um, and that we can place our faith in the God who's always been faithful to us. How many times in your life have you looked back on God's faithfulness and said, "Wow, like God really knew what He was doing there"? I, if you, if it's if you're like me, it's all the time. I think, "Wow, like I I don't know where I was going, but God knew and God had a plan for my life." Um, so how many? How easy? But how easy is it in our trial to to try to take matters into our own hands and try to accomplish God's plan our way. Um, So that's uh, how David was faithful in battle and in persecution and hardship. Uh, The third area that David was faithful in is in repentance of sin. If you guys want to flip now to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm just going to start reading in verse 1. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Then David sent to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. And then after this, basically David um, tries to get Uriah to go to his house um, to, to lay with his wife. He even gets him drunk to try to lay with his wife to cover up his sin. Um, and then further on down, uh, and when after this doesn't work, David kind of goes to plan B, and in verse 14 it says, Now in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle, and withdraw from him, so that he may be struck down and die. So it was as Joab kept watch on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell. And Uriah the Hittite also died. So right now you're probably wondering, Lane, why if you're talking about David's faithfulness, are you bringing up David's great sin? Uh, if we're praising him as a man of faith, um, and there's really one big reason that that I wanted to bring out, um, and it's because it's really easy, at least for me, to see David as like a super saint, right? If you could pick out one guy in the Old Testament, you know, that's like that guy was righteous. Um, I mean, it, he is called a man after God's own heart. In fact. Um, So it seems like it's easy for us to say, oh, having a faith like David, like that will never happen for me. I can never have a faith like David. Um, But on the contrary, David was a sinner, just like you and me. Um, Unfortunately, this passage proves this fact. Um, David did sin, and, uh, and it had huge consequences in his life. So using the excuse saying that, oh, I'll never have a faith like David, is totally invalid because... David was a righteous man, but he was by no means perfect. And nobody that we've studied at all this summer has been anything close to perfect. Um, But David was righteous because he had a firmly rooted faith in a perfect God. Um, So further on, looking at David's response, um, if you want to flip the page over to chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. So about nine months have passed at this point because... The, the, uh, the child that David had with Bathsheba has been born. And the Lord sends Nathan uh, to, to David and tells him a parable. Um, and I'll just kind of some, paraphrase the, the, this parable. It's basically about a rich man who had um, all of these flocks and herds and had anything he wanted. And then a poor man who had nothing except a little lamb that he loved uh, with all his heart. And a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man was unwilling to take his own flock So he took the lamb from the poor man and had it prepared for the guy. And if you look at David's response, as Nathan tells us to David, David's response in verse 5, it says, Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb foretold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. This parable hit David right right in the heart. He knew, he, because he was a shepherd growing up, he knew what it meant to love the lambs. He knew what he meant to lay down his life for the flock. But then verse 7, we see, Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. In this sin, we see that David, David didn't have faith in God. He believed that he could obtain satisfaction and happiness from something that other God, and he didn't believe God's faithful plan for his life. Um, but we do see down in verse 13 that David, David does admit his sin. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. Um, so going, moving forward, looking at David's repentance, um, if you want to flip over to Psalm 51, uh, we, we looked at it earlier in the call to worship, Psalms 51 should be in the middle, close to the middle of your Bible. And this is where we're really going to see David's faith um, manifested in his repentance of sin. Um, And I'm just going to read through this psalm. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from b- blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will Offered on your altar. So the psalm is written in response, basically to Nathan's rebuke for David. This is when David was really was convicted of his sin and, and came before the Lord and repented. Um, and I want you to pay close attention to the language that David uses um, throughout the psalm. Show that David David knew that he had sinned um, from within himself. He, he wasn't making excuses. He wasn't saying, "Yeah, but you know, this this happened to me because of this." He he's saying he knows that it's something that's deep inside that needs to be that needs to be dealt with. He uses you know he uses words like wash me thoroughly, cleanse me, um, purify me, uh, create in me a clean heart, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He's really begging God um, to to forgive him and to cleanse him. Um, he understood that uh, he had to be cleansed from within his heart. Um, listen close to this quote that I found from. Charles Spurgeon, about this psalm and about the heart of David here. He says, Many a murderer is more alarmed at the gallows than at the murder which brought him to it. The thief loves the plunder, though he fears the prison. Not so, David. He is sick of sin as sin. His loudest outcries are against the evil of his transgression and not against the painful consequences of it. When we deal seriously with our sin, God will deal gently with us. When we hate what the Lord hates, he will soon make an end of it to our joy and peace. Through this quote and through this passage, we really see the heart of, the heart of David just being broken over sin. Um, I like that part, what he says about that David, uh, his loudest outcries are against the evil of his transgression and not against the painful consequences of it. Brothers and sisters, how often, how often are we broken over our sin? How often do we grieve over our own sin? Um, we see in the psalm that David, although yes, he did sin and he sinned, that resulted in major consequences, but we see him just broken over it. And when we sin and when we repent, do we hate our sin or do we just hate the consequences of it? Um, This is how David's faith was displayed in his repentance, um, and it's seen best in verses 16 and 17 of this psalm. For you you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. David knew that you know, even his good deeds were filthy rags. He realized, or at least he was reminded of at this point, that we can't do anything to earn our salvation because we are sinners. David was reminded of this fact um, that the only way to be justified by God was, was through faith. Um, under the weight of his sin, he, was, he realized um, that it's only through faith that he could be reconciled. Um, and justified to God in it, and it reminds me of um, several passages in the New Testament, right Romans five one and two therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God, or like Galatians two sixteen Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Um, So through these three areas we've seen that David has been faithful in in battle, in hardship, and in repentance of sin. Now we're kind of going to look at our response to that and what we can can learn from David's faith. Um, And so on your outline there, the first point, Uh, Is that we can place our faith in the God who has always been faithful to us. Um, I would challenge you to ask yourself: Do you do this? Um, Do you really place your faith in God? Um, Maybe right now you're going through a trial and something, you know, a hardship right now. Um, I would encourage you that there's no other other person in the world, in the universe, to put your trust in than Christ. Um, Maybe you're placing your trust in something tonight that's. That's not on God, maybe it's on you know your future or money or a relationship or sports or whatever it is. I can promise you that just like the giant Goliath it's going to fall before God that um, someday um, I would beg you if you if you haven't to place your faith in Christ tonight because he is the only one that will last first um, peter four nineteen I'll just read it it says Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. I would challenge you to trust your souls into into the the creator tonight. Um, We can place our faith in a God who has always been faithful to us. And then point number two there, um, David was justified by faith, and so are we. Um, David did sin, uh, but he was justified because he had faith and we are justified in the same way. Um, If you're here tonight and you don't have faith in Christ, which I wouldn't doubt that there may be some people in this room that don't have faith in Christ, um, you can repent like David did in faith. Um, David recognized the fact that he was a sinner before a holy God, um, and he knew that there wasn't anything he could do on his own strength um, to, to right himself before God except to put faith in Christ. Um, and it's the same faith that we've been going through from Hebrews 11 and all the characters um, that we've been studying, um, just like Abraham, just like Moses, all of these people. You can put your faith um, in the God uh, who is always faithful to you. Um, if you do have faith in Christ tonight, um, you can rejoice that though we are sinners, the Lord has showed us amazing grace and we are justified in the same way that David was. And I think that's a really cool point to make that, you know, we like I said before, we see David as this this incredible saint, right in the Old Testament, but David is justified the same way that we are through grace, um, by grace through faith in his son. Um, so, in closing, I, I just want to leave you with a um, a song that I that I that I heard once. Um, it's a song called the Chasing Song, and it's by Andrew Peterson. I don't know if you've heard of him, but um, it's basically this song that's about. It basically goes through all of these characters throughout the Bible and and kind of what they desired in life. He goes through, you know, goes through Moses, goes through um, Jonah and Joseph and all of these things and kind of what they chased after. Um, And then in verse 3, I'll just read um, what the verse says and, and let it challenge you. It says, Jesus chased the money men, and he chased his father's will. He chased my sin to Calvary, and he caught it on that hill. Saul, he chased the Christians till his blindness made him see. David, he chased God's own heart. All I ever seem to chase is me. Um, So, I guess it kind of goes back to the question that I asked you first tonight. Um, What are you chasing after? Or, like, what are you putting your faith in tonight? What do you desire most uh, in this life? Because if it's anything other than what Christ uh, has done on the cross for you, um, I would challenge you to to really think about that. Don't leave without asking questions. If you're not sure what it means to put faith in Christ? Um, talk to me. Talk to Matt, Tanner, Deontay, uh, Michelle, anybody really here. Just don't leave without, without asking questions if you're, um, if you're wondering what that means. And just once again, I would challenge you if you're not putting your faith in Christ or if you're not putting your full faith in Christ, um, to do so because Christ is the only faithful one. So if you guys will bow with me tonight. Lord God, we come before you tonight, um, uh, having looked at the life the life of David um, and just the faith that he showed throughout his whole life. Lord, um, it can be somewhat intimidating, Lord, to look at someone like David who was righteous throughout his whole life. But Lord, we know that David was justified um, by faith, just like we are. Um, Lord, I pray tonight that if there's anyone here that's putting their faith in something other than Christ, Lord, pray that you would convict them and Lord, if anyone else, Lord, that's not um, putting their full faith in Christ, maybe is putting their trust and faith in something else, uh, whether it be in their future or, or money or um, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, whatever it is, Lord, um, that you would convict them of that, Lord. And I pray that, uh, that they would chase after you tonight and um, that they would put their faith in you. I pray for, for all of us tonight as we go, Lord. Help us to have a faith like David's. Help us to learn from his example. Um, that we can put our faith in You because You've always been faithful to us, Lord. Um, I thank You for this, uh, just for this evening that we could spend together. Um, and I pray as we go that we would, uh, we would increase in holiness and that You would uh, strengthen us in our faith towards You. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.